planning on traveling this summer? Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. Karen is the proven expert in addiction treatment. A recent independent study showed that 94% of Karen patients were still in recovery 90 days post-treatment. Visit CARON.org slash real. Karen, real results, real care, real about recovery. Get ready, sports fans, because the Row Report starts right now. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Route Report. I'm your host, Christian Rao. This is a Slasher Sports production. Today, I have Nick Myers with me. He is the host of Half Street High Heat, and we're going to talk the Washington Nationals. Hey, Nick, how you doing? Good, Christian. Thanks for having me back. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It was a fantastic episode last year when we had uh, the conversation, but last time we talked, your Twitter handle was a little different, so we got a new <laughs> one now. Got a new brand change, at Nats Moose. So, uh, very good very good Twitter handle. What's uh, what's up with the change? Oh, uh, so I mean, I, I'm the the type that I just get bored. So you, you know, it's time for a change, anyways. But uh, I coach a 13U team, and I've been given the nickname Coach Moose. Don't know why, but you know, I figured there's worse things that they could be calling me, so I decided to embrace it and you know adopt it. So yeah, uh, Nat's Moose officially now. I don't see that changing. Not bad. I like that. And the little logo you got going on with the N and the M mixed together. I, I, I dig exactly. it. I know you're also a Chargers fan, so you got to find a good happy meeting with the colors. Very exactly. good. Yeah, I, I like it. I like the I like the new brand. Uh, welcome, welcome in Nats Moose. So again, you can find him at Nats Moose on Twitter. And again, he's the host of Half Street High Heat. That's a podcast for fan sided for the Washington Nationals. Very great podcast. Really got to pay attention to them. They actually have something cool going on right now. If you're a sports fan and March Madness is going on. Yeah, bracket history all over the place. But they got a bracket going on over at Half Street High Heat. But it's about the best uniforms in baseball. I was taking a look at this before the podcast, and I'm actually going to have to study it. There's some, that's pretty in depth. <laughs> so if you want to dig this out, check it out on that page. I also retweeted it if you want to check it out over on my profile. Uh, fantastic. But hey, Nick, we got baseball back. The lockout's finally over. Uh, I know we were talking a little bit offline before we started, uh, just trying to figure out what we were going to do for content over on your page. And now that the lockout's over, obviously things have shifted. How are you feeling about mm-hmm. now we finally have baseball back? I'll be honest, at first, I was kind of just like, okay. And then we started getting some some signings, and then it just came flooding back where it's like, all right, now there's all these big-name free agents still available. There's all these possibilities with what the Nats can do and where teams might go, what trades might happen. Obviously, we've gotten some big-time trades in the past couple of days. So all of that that hope came flooding back uh, before you know the season starts and the Nats inevitably crush that hope. Uh, based on you know the play we've seen from them in you know August and September of this past season, yeah, I, I mean that's something to really bring in up as well as 2021. That Washington Nationals were not a team, uh, not a good team at all. With 65 and 97, fifth place. Now let's be honest, this division is very tough. 
but this was the first full season since 2019, and we all know what happened in 2019, World Series champs. So it was a, a gut-wrenching season by all means for the 2021 Washington Nationals. 65-97, I hate to take you back, but um, you know, <laughs> how do you feel about that season? Obviously, a lot of big names heading out the deadline. It was just uh, a big revolving door. Yeah, uh, I think the writing was kind of on the wall, and it's unfortunate. Obviously, you have the such a special season in 2019, and the first instinct is to run it back. Just see if you can catch lightning in a bottle again and you know, catch that magic and repeat, which is obviously so hard to do in baseball and in any sport. But, you know, you it was worth a shot, right? And that's why they paid up for Steven Strasburg and, uh, you know, they had to let Anthony Rendon go, but they still tried to make some minor moves prior to the 2020 season to try to run it back. And obviously the pandemic and everyone knows how that went. But even in 2021, people are like, all right, well, we still have Scherzer, Strauss, and Corbin. Strauss, his health has been up in the air ever since 2019. But on paper, you still have those three. You still have a shot. So I couldn't entirely fault them for trying to basically go back to back in 2021, you know, excluding the 2020 season. They traded for Josh Bell, which is a move I still love to this day. Uh, you know, they, they added a, a couple other pieces again prior to the 2021 season. But they just started out so slow and... again the writing was on the wall wall. uh max scherzer was in his contract year you know you're gonna have trey turner's contract looming at the end of the 2022 season josh bell as well um and kyle schorber was on a one-year deal you had all these you know things up in the air the only people really under contract past 2022 2023 were like juan soto and victor robles and a couple of the young guys and obviously the big contracts like strauss and corbin so just because of all of that uncertainty and then, you know, factor in the poor play, I, I wasn't surprised. I will say I was definitely surprised how far they went. I didn't expect them to trade trade Turner and, you know, go complete fire sale. But if you're going to do it, you might as well go all the way. And I think that's going to inevitably help them in the long run. Obviously, we have to see how uh, the return Guys like Josiah Gray, Kiber Ruiz, and, and some of those other guys perform and really step up. But our farm system was so bad, and that's just a result of being competitive for eight to ten years, which is very hard to do in baseball. It, it's rare teams are competitive for even three or four years, and that's did it pretty well for eight years, ten years, whatever you know you you want to define it as. They they did it very well but their farm system was very depleted and they didn't have any reinforcements. So the, the 2021 season, while we, we don't really want to remember a lot that went on, I think looking back on it in two or three years, we will be like, okay, that was the right move because what else would we have been left with uh, if we didn't make those, those trades to the deadline and, you know, get rid of fan favorites, but also get that return for new fan favorites you got to find a way to come back and compete as fast as you possibly can. So if right. you know if inevitable is going to happen, then, yeah, I completely agree. You brought up Josh Bell, and I was, that was going to be my next question of just talking how you feel about it. I already heard you said you still love this trade till this day. Josh Bell was outstanding for you last year, uh, only about 20% strikeout rate, which is pretty good for big guys, especially at first base DH, now, now DH for the National League. OPS plus, second on the team behind only Juan Soto with 124. 
a really good asset. Any of second on team in home runs. A lot of people have also said there's going to be some trade rumors around him this year. You think he's going to stay around solidified piece or you think they're going to still try to bolster that farm system? I think with him in particular, it's going to come down to basically what the team does. And I think he's going to be your kind of barometer litmus test, whatever metaphor you want to use. If the Nats trade Josh Bell at the deadline, that's probably an indication that this rebuild is going to take longer than they anticipated. But if they don't, if they find themselves in contention or they like what he's doing or, you know, whatever reason that he would stick around, then they probably feel good about the time frame on this rebuild. And I think that also depends on some of the young guys. Like I mentioned them, you know, uh, getting accustomed to the big leagues sooner than maybe expected or really handling themselves. Well, I think that's obviously a huge part of it. It's not all on Josh Bell, but just looking at the player, I I loved Josh Bell. I love the acquisition. He's, you know, we were doing our positional rankings um, for baseball. And when we got to first base, Josh Bell is a top eight first base and I had him eighth. uh, And, you know, my, my colleagues agreed with me. So if you're, you have like a top third first baseman, you should probably try to keep him. And the Nats again on paper, aren't necessarily going to contend this year, maybe not next year, Josh Bell is a piece you can, you have, and you can build around. And I also think he wouldn't cost a lot. I don't know exactly what that contract might look like. You see some guys get paid a ton. You see some guys not get paid at all. So I don't exactly know, but I think you can have him for a relatively fair deal. And the Nats have so much money to spend right now. And that's why I've been clamoring for some of these big name free agents. So if you just want to take that you know, available money and use it on your own guys. I'm perfectly fine with that as well, as long as we do something. And I think that starts realistically with Josh Bell. You talk about him being at first base and maybe talk about maybe him moving to the DH spot at some point during the season. But as we just said, the lockouts over free agencies in full swing and the Nats land the most popular, uh, most popular designated hitter in all of baseball right now with Nelson Cruz, quite a surprising move by a team that maybe you're not thinking that is going to compete this season, but I've never seen a one-year deal. I haven't liked this could be Mm -hmm. something that could be a great move in the trade deadline. If need be to bring more pieces to your farm. Uh, What's your thoughts about Nelson Cruz? Uh, I I love this move. Um, It it feels so weird. I believe I tweeted this out. It feels so weird to be this excited about signing a 42 year old, 42 year old (laughs) player. Um, And uh, 2019, even the Nats were the oldest team in baseball. And that was kind of a, uh, you know, a common joke amongst Nats fans and, and Twitter and whatnot, just like we're the old folks home. So it's like now that we're so young and we've gotten rid of some, you know, familiar faces, some some vets, it's like, all right, well, they kind of overcompensated and brought in the oldest guy available or whatever. But uh, no, Nelson Cruz is, is still a very valuable commodity. You look at what the Twins got for him last year, uh, the pitcher they got in return from the Rays is not now like the number four uh prospect in their farm so it's you know you could do way worse it is surprising just because of obviously how the nats are and they've been relatively quiet uh even before the lockout as term in terms of what moves they made and mike rizzo the nats gm was pretty against the universal dh so it is surprising to see him of all the nl gms be the first to really 
uh, attack that D that new DH position and sign the probably best DH available. So it's encouraging, but you can't stop there. I hope it's a sign of things to come, but if not, you can probably still net a good return for him at the deadline. And like you said, there's no such thing as a bad one year deal. Yeah. Never heard one in my entire life, you know, and if you find one, I'd, I'd want to know, it'd be a great, a great conversation. If you say, no, this is a bad one year deal. Never, never a bad one. All right. So a lot of new faces this year for the Washington nationals, you know, we have retirement of Brian Zimmerman, Mr. Nationals finally, you know, hanging up the cleats. You know, we did opt out in 2020, but he did find you played in 2021. Wasn't, you know, we, you could see the aging was happening. He finally decided to give up. Uh, I love Zimmerman from being from Virginia beach. That is something, you know, big fan of him. Trey Turner's obviously not there at the trade. Josh Harrison was just signed by the White Sox. Take me around this diamond. What do you think 2022 is going to look like around the Nationals infield? I'll be honest. Uh, you know, we're, we're talking on, on Tuesday, March 15th. I hope it looks a lot different in <laughs> a week or two. Uh, but as it currently stands, it seems like they're content rolling with the young guys and seeing what they have, which isn't the worst strategy, but with so many names available, and the second best player in baseball on your roster already, I would wish they would be a little bit more aggressive even after uh, a massive sale. You see the Cubs going out and signing Marcus Stroman and in talks or Carlos Correa reportedly. So I, I would want the Nats to be a little bit more aggressive, but as it stands now, you still have Josh Bell, like I, I mentioned. Second base, it looks like it's going to be uh, Cesar Hernandez, who they signed prior to the lockout. He's a fine veteran, nothing too flashy, but... He can fill that role uh, just fine. It seems like Luis Garcia, he's slimmed down a little bit, put on, um, you know, so, some good weight. Uh, so you know, sounds uh, like a just juxtaposition, but uh, it seems like he's going to be the shortstop uh, going forward. They're going to give him every opportunity. If not, he should be able to slide to second base. He wasn't great defensively last year, so I'm curious to see if that improves, especially at a premier position like short. Um, but if not, if his defense stays the same, then his offense really needs to get going. Cause obviously that's a trade-off you'll take. You'll see that with guys like Fernando Tatis or Xander Bogarts who aren't the greatest defensively, but their offense more than makes up for it. Um, and obviously Luis Garcia has a long way to go before he reaches those levels, but that's a trade-off I would take. So we'll see. He's still very young. And then Carter Keeboom's the big one. He's penciled in at third base and I'm not really sold on him. He has not looked good really in any stretch uh, with his time with the big club. And it's been, you know, several opportunities and basically the in entire season last year, and he has not looked great. He strikes me as a guy that needs a change of scenery. So I, I would love to see the Nats package him and maybe a young uh, single A, double A arm, potentially try to, to snipe Matt Chapman from, <laughs> from the A's or, or even sign someone like Chris Bryant. And then, if Keyboom does well, then you know, Brian slides into left field. But if Keyboom struggles, then Brian can play third. I think that makes a ton of sense for the Nationals as well. Keyboom's definitely the biggest question mark right now, and one I'm not not sold on. <laughs> we'll we'll leave it at that. What if I just broke news that Chris Bryant was signed with the Rockies right here? What would you say? That would be the worst news uh, you could possibly <laughs> give me. I mean, the, the, the Rockies are, I, I don't know how much time we have, but the Rockies are completely, <laughs> uh, I don't even know how to explain that franchise. It, it is quite, quite the uh, decision-making up at the top. Yeah, um, I did see some of those rumors there, but 
Chris Bryant has been, there's been some ties to Washington over the past few years with his name over and over again for years when the Cubs were saying, should they trade Bryant? And Washington's name kept coming up over and over again, and it just never happened. Now it just seems like the time to do it, to lock him in. We'll see. I like the Matt Chapman deal too. And it was same with what you said with Carter. He maybe a change of scenery is a good idea. So much hype for him in 2020 and 2021, and it just hasn't panned out yet. I think he still has potential, but maybe in a different system. Makes sense. Yeah. All right, let's roll it out. Let's go out into the field. This outfield, uh, how are you feeling about them? <laughs> uh, I mean, if Juan Soto could play all three positions, then I would be you know, living on cloud nine, living the dream. But unfortunately, he's only one man. Victor Robles is, you know, speaking of Carter Keeman, uh, another person that I, I'm ready uh, to, to move on from. The Victor Robles experiment is done for me. There's some fans that uh, have held out hope. But even if you go back to our fir- very first episode of Half Street High Heat, that was... Uh, prior to the 2019 season. So, you know, opportune timing there for us. But uh, even back then, I said that Victor Robles was trending towards being a flashier Michael A. Taylor, who Nats fans will remember, and now he just won a gold glove with Kansas City. Fine defender, horribly uh, offensive um, player. It, uh, and people will know my, my feelings towards Michael A. Taylor, but I've just never been very high on Victor Robles. And I think the past couple of years have only added to that argument and you know everyone's going to take 2020 for whatever they want it to be uh but again he hasn't looked particularly great in any stretch uh Davey martinez came out prior to the 2021 season saying he's going to have every opportunity to be the leadoff guy well after a couple of weeks uh he was demoted from the leadoff role to like you know eighth ninth in the lineup sometimes and never really went back until you know, we sold everyone and then it really didn't matter who was hitting where. So uh, he's going to get another shot, but I don't envision much changing for him. Uh, Lane Thomas is the interesting one. He played very, very well uh, after the trade um, deadline when he came over from the Cardinals. He was used to be a top prospect. He kind of flamed out with the Cardinals. Changer scenery guy did well in Washington. He's going to get an opportunity, a legitimate opportunity. Um, maybe it's center field. Maybe he slides over to left if Victor Robles carves out a, a, a nice role with this team. Uh, but right now it's a platoon, and basically the, the hotter hands will prevail. Left field, it's probably Yadiel Hernandez, who's more of a hitter. He would be a, a fine DH if we didn't just sign Nelson Cruz. Um, but yeah, we, we need some help, Christian. <laughs> That's what it comes down to. Uh, you know, a corner or specifically a third baseman. And then an outfielder wouldn't be uh, the worst thing in the world for the Nats right now. We talk about Juan Soto, and obviously he is the star-studded player on this team, without question. That's been like that for a long time, ever since we constantly made the jokes of how he was only 22. We've been talking about that for years. I, that'll be instilled in my brain for forever. You know, Did you know Juan Soto's only 22? Okay. Uh, but, uh, but there has been some conversation going around. It was during the lockout, so not sure if it, how real it was. But there was conversations that he was offered an extension and he turned it down. If that's the case, what does that mean for this Nationals team? Maybe is he just wants to test free agency? Maybe kind of like what Jacob DeGrom said during his press conference for the Mets yesterday. Uh, what's your thoughts about this? What's this mean for maybe the, the rebuild and building this team back up as a whole? Um, I'm not totally you know, in panic mode about it. I think the fact that the Nats are approaching him three years before free agency is a good sign. Um, and that offer 
was competitive. It, it wasn't, I don't blame Juan for not taking it because it's way less than what he would get on the open market. Um, but it, it was competitive, especially by the national standards. Uh, anyone who knows the nationals and the way they do negotiation and business, they love their deferrals. They love kicking the can down the road. They're still going to be paying Max Scherzer, uh, the Steven Strasburg contract, you know, it has a bunch of deferrals. The contract they offered to Bryce Harper had like 50 years of deferrals. And no, I'm not joking. Uh, <laughs> they signed Brad Hand to a one-year $10 million deal last year, and that contract had deferrals. So this team loves their deferrals. They're still paying Rafael Soriano, too, and I don't even know the last time he pitched in the majors. Wow. But, um, <laughs> yeah, but they love their deferrals. So the fact that they approached Juan with a 13-year, $350 million deal with no deferrals – tells me that they're serious about doing business and getting something done. And that's, that's a reasonable starting point. Again, it's a starting point. It's not even close to what Juan will or should sign, but it's a good starting point for Juan. It basically comes down to he's, I call him second base, second best player in baseball. I stand by that. And also he's Scott Boris client, like Boris clients don't really sign extensions uh, before they hit uh, free agency. Steven Strasburg was the lone exception because he wanted to stay in Washington, but even then he opted out a couple of years later for a better deal. And he was, you know, entertaining other offers like the Yankees and a couple other teams before he inevitably resigned with the nationals. Um, but Strasburg would be the outlier there. He's not the, the rule. And so for Juan Soto, just being as good as he is, you see Ronald Acuna, Fernando Tatis play taking deals less than what they would have made uh, on the open market. Juan knows that he's going to be the guy when he makes it to 2025 or whenever his free agency is. And he's probably 500 million has been thrown out there. I wouldn't put it past a team paying that. I don't think he gets that, but mid fours, I think is probably where he should uh, shoot for. Uh, the number I had was 15 years, 500 million, which sounds wow. like a, a, a ton, but it locks him up for the rest of his career. And it's like a $36 million AAV. So yes, a lot of money, but Juan's deserving of it. His bat's going to age very well. The DH helps those latter years where it might be an albatross and defensively at least, but Juan has quietly de developed himself into a solid defender. He was a gold glove finalist the past two years. So you know, he, he's not quite a five tool player because he doesn't have a ton of, you know, speed, but he's quietly developed to his game to another level that we thought, oh, wow, this guy's already really good. And he got even better. So I think he's deserving of the money. And can I say, it? I mean, he, he's 23, like he, he is so <laughs> young. So uh, I, I think he's deserving of it, but it's encouraging to see the Nats at least get started on it. Hey, did you know Juan Soto is only 23 years old? <laughs> no, I didn't. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. That's a great, great point. Random thought right here, because you're talking about a $500 million contract. A rapid fire question real quick. Over, under, 20 years from now, will we see our first billion-dollar player? Uh, No, I don't think so. That That's – I mean, think how long it took to get to $300 million. That's true. And, uh, I mean – what was the trout deal? Yeah. Well, Bryce's was three thirty, and I know trout blew it out of the water. I thought trout's was over four. And if trout's only getting four, let's just call it a flat four hundred. If trout is only getting four, oh, four twenty six, four twenty six. Okay, yeah, four twenty six. If if that's what Mike Trout is getting, uh, I mean, I don't envision someone coming along and and topping that by twice as much, more than that. 
So probably not, but I do like the the you know the thought that hopefully it's, players get paid what they're worth. It's crazy just to think of that. Sometime in in the point of the history of this sport, there will be a player that gets a billion dollar contract. And who knows if oh, it's yeah, twenty years or not? Insane. Right. It's insane to think about it. But yes, I I think it's a good idea. You know, it was a good call, good try for Juan Soto for the deferrals. I didn't know everything about these deferrals. So um, all the Bobby Benilla fanatics, watch out. I hope they're right. not listening to these podcasts right here. They just found a whole bunch of new fans. The Harper one deferral for like 50 years in the making. I got to look into that. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah. All right. So Scherzer's, Scherzer's gone. He's now a New York Met. Uh, wow. Um, you got to go against him now in the division. Something that's going to look really weird. It was one thing him going to the Dodgers, going at least the other side of the country, still in the you know, still in the same league. But now you're staying in the same division. That's going to be very interesting to see. Uh, we have the potential to have a, a Scherzer versus Strasburg divisional matchup. That would be very fun. They better put that on. MLB, you know, Sunday night baseball or something, but oh, it'll be blacked out in MLB <laughs> that's, fashion. That's true. That's true. Who am I kidding? Uh, right. <laughs> but with that being said, this rotation is going to obviously look different as well than what we looked at the beginning of last season with Scherzer gone, Lester obviously being traded away. Uh, you know, Patrick Corbin, uh, what an interesting contract that's become. What's your thoughts about this rotation? The potential is there, but what was once a uh, you know, a foundation of this team has become arguably its biggest question mark. Uh, the Nats offense after the trade deadline and losing guys like Trey Turner and uh, Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison and all those, the the staples that we had seen for some time, Kyle Schorber obviously w- was very hot, you know, for that stretch of June. Uh, the Nats offense was still one of the best in the league. And they, they weren't world beaters, but, you know, they scored runs and they did more than enough. Uh, that's not to say we can just be satisfied with that. I would still like to add a bat or two, but the, the offense was good. The problem was pitching and more specifically the bullpen, but let's be honest, who who doesn't have bullpen issues? Um, but the starting rotation, typically you could kind of mask those bullpen issues because you had starters going six, seven innings. Well, now even someone like Corbin, who was healthy last year, but he was the worst pitcher in baseball. Like, and I'm not exaggerating. He actually was. He had the highest ERA of all, among qualified pitchers, uh, starting pitchers in baseball. And you know, you're paying him like a, a, an ace, a front of the line, top tier starter. And he was the furthest thing from it last year. Not that he can't rebound, but his, you know, his slider was his money pitch. And you know, there's big red flags on that slider, and obviously some of his other uh, pitches as well. So it's a big if, but, you know, you paid these guys for a reason. Steven Strasburg, Patrick Corbin, they should be a lot better than they are. Obviously, Strasburg is health, but they should be a lot better than they are. So they have the potential to rebound. And then you have very, very high upside guys like Josiah Gray really just got his first taste of the majors last year. He just graduated from, you know, MLB pipeline and the the prospect. Uh, system and rankings and whatnot so this is effectively his rookie year and uh very very excited for what he might bring the the stuff is is nasty it's just he not that he struggled with walks but he would miss like over the middle and then get hit hard and we actually had him on our show and he's talking about yeah i could get away with that in the minor leagues but obviously i can't get away with that in majors and that's something i need to get better at um, and also he's working on a changeup, so that that's you know another thing to add to the arsenal. So those three right there should give you a, a fighting chance. And then you round out your rotation. They 
did a great job of signing a bunch of vets to minor league deals. Anibal Sanchez, who was part of the 2019 team, they signed him to a minor league deal. Aaron Sanchez, who I I love as a flyer. He was great that one year with Toronto. It's been a while now, but that's why it's a flyer. You're, you hope you, you can have him rebound. Uh, they have some other internal candidates. Josh, Ro- Josh Rogers finished the season well uh, with us. Um, you know, who knows what he might develop into. Uh, Jonah Don, uh, he started the last game of the season against the Red Sox, pitched pretty well. So I don't know how much they might rely on him early on or at all during the season. But then they have plenty of guys in the minors. Kate Cavalli is a top prospect in baseball. He has a college arm, so he should be theoretically ready this year. I don't know. Some pro, uh, project him more as a reliever because of command issues, but if he can sort out the command issues, he's going to be very, very good. Um, so I'm excited about him. And then you have some other guys like Jackson Rutledge and Cole Henry, who are other top prospects that probably aren't going to be ready this year. But, you know, if this team stinks, you never know what might happen, who they might call up. Patrick Corman, nine for 16 record last year when that high ERA for the league high, Ooh, five, yeah. 582. Yeah. So with that, yeah, very a lot of improvements that you hope to see from Corbin. You hope to see health from Strasburg. Strasburg only started five games last year, 21.2 innings, 21 and two-thirds innings that he only pitched. We're going to see, got to see more from him this year. But you, well, you, are we going to see a full season for him? That's the big question. Probably not. Uh, he is throwing, which obviously is encouraging, but the, the laundry list of injuries in, in his history is piling up quickly. Uh, and multiple things. There was a thoracic outlet was the most recent one. And then Tommy John back then, or, you know, a a few years ago. So the injury concerns are very real, um, but it seems like they're approaching this the right way. He spoke today. I don't know if it was him or Davey Martinez, but basically said he's going to take a six week spring training. So even when the season starts, he's not going to, really be through i don't know if he's going to start with the team or start on the il or whatever it may be but he's going to take six weeks to really get back into pitching shape and then they'll go from there so they are taking their time and obviously you know on paper the nats are not going to be contenders this year so there's no rush uh and obviously you have such a large investment in him financially and if this team goes it's going to be because someone like steven strasberg is going as well so you need him and you're going to give him as much time as possible. But if we're talking about a whole season, I mean, that's that's a pipe dream at this point. I, I would settle for 20 starts, 25 starts from Steven Strasburg. You say this team is probably not going to be a contender this year, and I agree with you, especially with how tough this NL East is going to be. Does that mean that there's a possibility that maybe GM Mike Rizzo or you know manager Davey Martinez could be in the hot seat, or are they here for the long haul? I doubt it, uh, especially Rizzo. Uh, he's been with the team for so long. He's done so many great things. I will say he deserves some criticism because if you look for the past six years, um, obviously Brady House is it's too soon to tell, but for the past six or so years, they have not developed players well at all, specifically first round picks, the guys who need the hit, and they have not done well at all. Like their top picks have not been great. Um, So I'm hoping that gets resolved. They just kind of overhauled their player development, uh, you know, staff. So maybe Rizzo's kind of writing the ship. Davey's an interesting one. I doubt it just because he's a World Series champion manager. The players love him. He's a player's manager. So I I would doubt it. 
if it's, you know, three years down the road and nothing's changed, then maybe. But right now the expectations are so low. And I assume that probably uh, is the case within the organization as well. Not that they're not trying, but let's be real. Um, I, I doubt anyone would be on the hot seat after, uh, let's say they go 65 wins again. I doubt anyone would be on the hot seat after that. Gotcha. All right, let's wrap it up and let's look in to the 2022 season. First question, who is your team MVP not named Juan Soto? I think it's going to be uh, Bear Ruiz, uh, top prospect catcher that came over from the Dodgers. Uh, he's going to get the starting catcher job out of camp um, and going to have every opportunity to do so. He and Josiah Gray came over together, so they have that rapport Previously, they played in, I believe, Oklahoma City's the Dodgers AAA affiliate. Uh, they played together there. Uh, they played together, you know, in Dodgers spring training and the taxi squad during the COVID year. So they have a lot of uh, chemistry already. So I'm excited to see that. Uh, but if this team does well, it's going to be because someone like K-Bear Ruiz stepped up. Obviously, I, I wanted to go to Josh, Josh Bell, and I think Josh Bell will have a great season. But that MVP, you know, I... I treat it for like what it is the most valuable player, not the most outstanding player or best player or anything like that. Most valuable player. I think it will be Caber Ruiz and what he can bring to the table, both, uh, you know, from a catcher spot, helping that staff and bullpen, but also offensively as well. I like that context has meaning. I like that. I really, so pay attention to him. That's somebody who is not on my radar. So good to know. I appreciate that one. All right. What do you think uh, the nationals end up in? Are they going to be better than fifth in the NL East? Uh, are we talking about in 2022 or yes. down <laughs> uh, for, no. just for 2022? <laughs> I think this is a fifth place team. Uh, the Braves, obviously world series champions. They let Freddie Freeman go. Presumably uh, I would be shocked if they bring him back, Could you uh, but oh man, that would be quite the move. Uh, but they traded for Matt Olson, who was one of my previous now previous favorite players in baseball. Uh, so that's more than a fine constellation prize. It seems like they're going to, you know, defend their crown. And remember, they didn't have Ronald Acuna for that World Series run. He was out with a torn ACL. So they're getting him back, who's a perennial MVP candidate. That team will be fine. The Mets obviously loaded up and don't care about a luxury tax. The Phillies always should be better than they are. They're a perennial 500 team. I'm not joking. Look at the records. Um, but that's better than the where the Nats are now and the Marlins, you know, typical basement dwellers in the NL East, they look good. I'm as excited as I can be, but I'm excited to see what they have. That rotation is so young. I believe all their starters are 25 or younger, but they're all very, very good led by Sandy Alcantara and who that it's not even including Sixto Sanchez. So who knows what, what might happen with him and with that rotation. But point is all the other four teams in the NL East look to be in a better spot than that's right now. So I'm going to say fifth place, unfortunately. Matt Olson is going to make you eat those words and probably be a gnat killer for years. Oh, he is. I tweeted that. that. I, I know for a fact. It's I just have to live with it at this point, just bite the bullet and, you know, uh, <laughs> try not to, th you know, think about my ex too much or anything like that. <laughs> Very good. Oh, fantastic. All right. Last question. Uh, we say they're not going to be contenders, so we assume it's not going to be buyers, but do we see another fire sale come this trade deadline? Uh, it, I mean, I wouldn't call it a fire sale but just because who's left, <laughs> right? The, the Corbin contract is not 
the prettiest. No one's going to take that on. If no one's taking on the Corbin contract, no one's going to take on the Strasburg contract. I doubt they would trade Strasburg anyways. They need some some good will for the fans and whatnot. Um, it really would c- come down to Josh Bell and Nelson Cruz would, in my mind, be the only – uh, commodities, maybe Will Harris if he bounces back as a reliable bullpen arm, but they just don't have much right now uh, as a proven commodity. And if any of the young guys do well, well, they would just keep them rather than trade them with so much uh, control left in their contract. So uh, I guess no, but they would probably trade someone like Nelson Cruz at the very minimum. All right. And then bonus question How are you feeling about your Coastal Carolina baseball team? Listen, Coastal Carolina needs some respect. (laughs) I know we had a tough series against UNC, but we played them very, very close every single game. Lost on a couple walk-offs. We played them very, very close, and people love the UNC team. Coastal's right there. We are right there. They deserve some more respect. Uh, Just, you know, took a series from Xavier, play NC State today. We we deserve some respect. We'll be in Omaha this year. You can count on it. Ooh, best ten and six team in the country right now. I completely absolutely. Springsburg Sparks, toughest barn to play in the entire college baseball uh, atmosphere. Fantastic. Keep an eye on them. Remember, college baseball is still going on right now too. Don't forget about that. I know that a lot of people were paying attention to it when the lockout was there. Still a lot of good baseball over in College Baseball Station. So Eric Brown will be a top pick too. That shortstop for Coastal. So so watch out. so many good players on in the Mid Atlantic region right now for college baseball. JMU's got some good ones. ODU's got some good ones. Oh, it's it's, it's good time. It's good time to be a baseball fan in the Virginia and North Carolina region. I'll tell you what. Mm-hmm. Nick, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast to talk about the Washington Nationals. It was a pleasure. Before I let you go, let everyone know where they can find you and what you got coming up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Nats Moose, uh, but be sure to follow the show at Half Street High Heat. Uh, the sh- S or the street is ST, so it's Half ST High Heat. Um, like Christian said earlier, we have our March Madness uh, uniform bracket going on right now, so be sure to check that out. Uh, our YouTube channel is updated, you know, several times throughout the week. We have a site, uh, HalfStreetHighHeat.com, Street ST. Uh, blogs coming up basically every day, and and fun quizzes and, and whatnot. So we're trying to pump out the content. And obviously we have baseball coming back now, so we are going to have stuff to actually talk about, but we, we, you know, we do our best. And we have uh, Monty, who's our uh, blog coordinator. He's been killing it with the college baseball coverage. So if you are interested in college baseball, uh, you know, be sure to check out Half Street High Heat as well, because we, we have all of our bases covered, pun intended. Nice, fantastic. And all of that information for where you can find Nick and Half Street High Heat Twitter, YouTube, all that stuff will be in the show notes below. Next, thank you so much. That's going to wrap it up for us here at The Route Report. Thank you once again for listening. We'll be back here for another 30-team preview as we get closer and closer to opening day. Take care. Thanks for listening. Tune in weekdays for more of The Route Report. traveling this summer? 
Make saving at the pump part of your plans with two times the fuel points from Harris Teeter. It's easy. Download your eVic coupon, and for every dollar you spend with your Vic card, you'll get two fuel points. That's up to $1 per gallon on quality fuel at participating BP and Harris Teeter fuel centers. Download your eVic coupon today and save money at the pump all summer long with eVic and Harris Teeter fuel points. Between the job, the kids, the TV I need to binge watch, I've got a lot going on. But I just discovered my new favorite shortcut, Albertsons on Instacart. Everything I need delivered right to my door in as fast as one hour. Albertsons organic produce, fresh treats from the bakery. Oh, paper towels. Hang on. I gotta place another order. Download the Instacart app or visit instacart.com to get free delivery on your first order. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply.